Hello and welcome into Emergency F, news and information on topics that shape the Community Foundation world. I'm your host, Eric Ozempa. All right, following up on the Michigan contingent, we have Chris Lemon over at the uh, Ann Arbor Community Foundation joining us today. Uh, welcome in, Chris. Thanks for be, uh, for the offer. It's great to be here today. Yeah, uh, I really um, enjoyed and appreciated our conversation off air. You were talking about your coaching lacrosse. We'll get into that in just a bit here. But um, Chris was the inaugural member of the very first uh, youth council uh, for the Ann Arbor Community Foundation in 1989 to 1990. He came full circle when he joined the Community Foundation in 2009 as the youth council advisor now a senior community investment manager or officer, sorry, senior community investment officer. He works to create impact in the Washtenaw County, focusing on strategic grant programs focused on supporting older adults and caregivers in our community. Born and raised in Ann Arbor, Chris took a short leave of absence to obtain his BA in psychology at Michigan State University before returning home. Um, Michigan State. Wow, that seems kind of weird. You're in Ann Arbor. That uh, how, is there like conflict or fisticuffs all the time in the community? Or <laughs> every day, every day. No, it's 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 a uh, it's a fun uh, dynamic. So yeah, I'm always referred to as little brother, and I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> always in good fun though. That's cool. You are currently a resident of Dexter, where he coaches lacrosse and owns and operates a 35 acre community focused farm. Okay. Got to talk about lacrosse. Did you play as a youth? And is it just something you just continued to do? I did. I played in high school. Um, had the uh, the pleasure of playing for three years. Um, a little plug. We were state champions my senior year, which was fantastic. But um, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, it really helped me in my own personal development um, in recognizing the role that sports can play in, in terms of child development. I've been coaching lacrosse and Dexter now for almost 12 years. So. Awesome. Well, that's excellent that you're giving back to the community in that way too, as well. 35 acre farm. Yeah. That obviously consumes a lot of time. So why a 35 acre farm? You know, um, the farming has been in my family for, for many, many generations. And, um, I think that my work through the foundation has really helped me to realize where, there's a lot of areas for connectivity um, around food security, but also around areas um, like the arts. And so um, my dream has always been to own a farm that where we kind of leverage our privilege and resources to support our community. So we provide food at a very low cost to individuals through our farm stand. And then we host a series of events throughout the year to support local independent artists. So. I mean, my wow. thing is like, if you have good food and you have good music and good people, it's always a good day. So I'm just trying to create my own little utopia that uh, kind of supports the community at the same time. So. so is it always folk music on the farm? I'm just curious. It, I have it, a theory it, about, I have a theory about, uh, you know, market farms and folk music, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. We, there, I mean, there's a lot of folk music. Yes. Um, but we are branching out. I'm actually trying to work with, uh, the Ann Arbor Symphony Orchestra to see if they would come out and do a couple of gigs there. And, I like all music, so everything from electronic to folk to, um, you know, to classical music, it's it's all welcome. So okay, so smashing pumpkins, we can look forward to it at the market farm here pretty soon. All right, I coming to that. you. Yeah. All right, awesome. Um, <laughs> so let's see, what did you want to do with psychology? 
Um, so I worked, um, I had a, a practice for, for a little while working with at-risk kids, um, helping them, th- um, as kind of their struggles through like self-identity as well as, um, just academic struggles as well. And I worked up at, um, uh, Lansing Community College for quite some time in their, um, social science department as well, supporting students. And so I really enjoyed it. I've always, um, kind of appreciated the role that like therapy and psychology can play in in development as well as understanding and even empathy. Um and so it's it's a core part of who I am. Um but uh philanthropy soon took over uh and that's where I find myself now. So it was a good transition. So not to digress too much, but can you describe how that came about like from psychology? I mean you're probably one of the in most interesting journeys I've heard as far as like <laughs> schooling and community foundation usually you know i i run into the fine arts person who all of a sudden decided to do marketing then then you know got into fundraising or marketing at a community foundation but describe that journey yeah you know um i have lots of interests and i think that um i've i've never felt that there that i had like one calling it's more been kind of this emergent journey um and after my work um at the uh, Lansing Community College, you know, I find myself, I, I did have a transition where I also worked in outdoor retail, which is a huge passion of mine, you know, the outdoors and helping people to get outside. But um, my work with the youth council back when I was in high school um, really anchored me to the understanding that there is need in our community and that our voices matter. Um, my stepdad um, has been involved in development and philanthropy his entire career. And so that was another really big um, influence on me to kind of be open to the opportunities there. So when the um, when the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation came to me um, about 15 years ago and said, do you want to, um, in essence, run our youth council for us, that thing which you helped to launch so many years ago, I didn't hesitate. I mean, it literally was a, a yes immediately after the question. Um, and it has been just a fantastic ride. Um, you know, it's it's not often that you can say that when you go to work, Every single day, you're surrounded by coworkers that their sole dedication is to support the community. Um, and I walk away every day knowing that we did our best and look forward to the next day to see what else we can do. So um, it all kind of builds, you know, it's, uh, I mean, all of these life experiences I've had, I think, helped me to relate to our community and to be open to the various experiences and, and populations that make us up. And, you know, I, I hope that that learning never ends. Yeah, well said. Now to the sublime, to the completely ridiculous, I do have to ask you, any podcasts, reading, uh, music you like to listen to, in addition to folk at a a market farm, (laughs) um, or uh, is there a secret talent you want to share with everybody? You know, uh, no secret talents. (laughs) No, I I can't dance. um, I can't sing. um, But I, I love podcasts. I have found that, you know, with the busy schedule, that kind of the the driving time uh, between, you know, practices or work is just a really great time to um, either relax or even enrich, you know, my perspective. I do, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts for comedians. Um, I find the comedians have a really interesting take on society and some of the the issues in, uh, that we try to tackle. And when you approach it through a lens of humor, I think it can make it um, a little more approachable. Um, mm-hmm. So I really, really enjoy those. Um, there are other podcasts, though. I mean, I'm not, it's not just all, you know, humor for me. The, 
There's some great ones. The Ethical Rainmaker, um, which focuses on some of the tougher topics related to philanthropy and nonprofits. I'm a huge fan of that one. Um, Pod Save America, which takes a deeper dive into politics in the United States, is another one. But then, and I can't can't leave farming out. There's another great one called Farmer to Farmer, which um, focuses on topics related to sustainable farming. So, um, if it's been oh, a long if it's been a long day at work, I'm probably not listening to like nonprofit related podcasts. I'm probably diving into the comedy side. But no, oh, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, except for this one, which is exceptionally funny. Um, yes. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I when you said, you said the Farmer to Farmer podcast, all I think about is back in the day. Uh, listening to AM radio and you know soybeans, you know, and then he would just like he yeah. just talk about soybeans and the price. It was like an auction, you know, podcast. Yep. It was like you know dry as paint. You know, it was just awful. And yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. we've come a long way. It's good. Yeah, exactly. So it must be much more riveting and exciting than that is what I remember. So yeah. I would agree. Yes. All right. Awesome. So, all uh, right. Describe Ann Arbor to us. Well, you know the. Um, one of the things that, you know, our, so our foundation, you know, um, the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation is, you know, we're, we're located in Ann Arbor, but what's great is that we, we are a place-based foundation. So we focus on all of Washtenaw County, which I absolutely love. Um, and Washtenaw County is, I think, unique, but yet similar to so many other communities, you know, in our area. Um, we're roughly 722 square miles with 28 cities, townships, and villages. Um, and our overall population is just shy of 370,000. Um, the, ma the majority of our residents do live in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti, which are adjacent to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the, um, discussions tend to focus on those two, you know, and for obvious reasons, mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have, you know, phenomenal health systems. We have phenomenal educational opportunities through U of M, Eastern Michigan, you know, Washtenaw Community College. Um, but there's also a lot of great things happening in our rural communities as well. Uh, and so, you know, our it's it's always a learning, you know, it's like when there's there's such a vast diversity of populations and geography, um, you know, every day we're learning something new. But it's um, and but I like that, though. I like that it's it's not homogenous, that there's always an opportunity to gain insights. But um, but yeah, we're not it's you know, people think that Ann Arbor is just Ann Arbor, but you would really be surprised as soon as you get like. 5, 10, 12 miles outside of Ann Arbor, the landscape changes dramatically. So Wow. And so um so with the Ann Arbor Community Foundation, those 28 cities and the the county kind of place-based work you do, is are there affiliates that are they're affiliated with Ann Arbor? Is it is it really Ann Arbor for those 28 cities or and there may be some other smaller foundations for some other areas within that region? So there, you know, we used to have affiliates. Um, we we don't. That's not an area that we really focus on anymore. Um, there are um, other foundations that do work in our area. You yeah. know, we have some, like some state level funders, obviously, like the Michigan Health Endowment Fund. But there are a lot of private foundations or smaller family foundations that operate as well. And we really try to be in partnership with them. And that's, I think, one of the things that I love about our approach to the work is that. Um, we don't view like we each have our own little fiefdom, right? Like we're, we are in this together. We know that there's not enough funding to support every cause and every need. And so we, we, we really try to partner, you know, and inform through data or stories so that we can work in, in, in to some extent in a coordinated fashion. We're not fully coordinated by any means. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, put that narrative out there, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's great when we can have conversations about what they're doing and what we're doing. And, and we learn from each other and inform and, and co-fund whenever possible. 
Mm-hmm. So describe um, your uh, community foundation, or more, maybe more specifically, your your kind of role within it as community investment officer. What what does that entail? Yeah, so um, the majority of my work is focusing on some of our larger grant programs. Um, you know, we have we have a number of larger initiatives at the foundation. Um, you know, we have uh, the, the largest part of my work is focusing on aging justice, which we also call healthy and fulfilling aging. So focusing on the needs of older adults and their caregivers. Um, but we also focus on racial equity, um, which is another emerging area of work for um in my particular portfolio and some others on staff. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we focus on impact investment, um, economic empowerment, which is also called wealth creation, and then college degree attainment. Um, I think what's interesting about the work, um, and, and this is where I'm I'm grateful for having been here for so long, because you can kind of see this longitudinal view of how the foundation has evolved. Um, you know, we're, we're celebrating our 60th year this year. You know, we were, we were, we were born in 1963. Um, but our, the foundation has really started to grow into more of a systems level funder. That's where we kind of see our future moving forward. Um, you know, what's int- what I find fascinating is that a lot of times in the foundation world, there's always this focus on, you know, how large is your endowment or how are your assets? Like how much money do you have? And we recognize that it's important to have a lot of money invested because you know that means you have more of a spendable to support your community. Um, but we've always wanted to make sure that that any development efforts are to drive impact, right? And so we don't really, yes, you know, we're one of the twenty fastest growing foundations in the country. That's awesome. But what's what we really want to focus on is how are we using those funds to impact our community, right? Yeah. And historically, when we were smaller in terms of our assets, um, we were more of a programmatic funder. And so, you know, it was going to be focusing on a lot of the safety as, uh, issues, um, more of like the symptoms, um, as well as enrichment opportunities as well. Um, but that's that's where that was our lane, because that was the only lane that we could occupy. But as our assets have grown, um, you know, uh, to kind of take a quote and, and spin it, it's like more money, more responsibilities, right? Yeah, and so yeah. we see that, uh, there's an opportunity for us to really um, step into that uh, that systems um, change funder. And the, the analogy that I like to use is that, you know, for, for years, we've been supporting our nonprofits to pull people out of the river, right? And I think that that's an important role. But at some point, we really need to figure out why they're falling in. Uh, and so we see the systems level work is how can we get upstream and support these systemic changes to prevent people from falling in the river. In the meantime, we're not going to stop helping to pull people out. It's not an either or, it's an and. Um, but we really see that as being our responsibility right now um, to to emerge in our community as as that systems level driver. And so the, the, the um, older adult work is really where we see um, a lot of traction right now um, and where we're kind of having fun finding ways to support our community um, in those kinds of ways. So what um, when you talk about systems level and kind of going upstream, how does that look in your specific topic we wanted to talk about, which is older adults? Yeah. So, um, you know, the for us, the first step, I think, is always being grounded in data, both qualitative and quantitative, making sure that we understand from those in our community, what are they experiencing? Like what's working well, what's not working well, where are their gaps, the hurdles, you know, et cetera. Um, the last thing anybody wants is is me 
in an office on the third floor coming up with ideas that are not grounded in reality, right? Like we need to make sure that we are responsible for our dollars and make sure that we're putting it in directions that the community says that we need. Um, so that's always, that's kind of the, that's always been our first step is to be grounded in data. And then it's really building the relationships um, once again with our community members, but then also with our nonprofit leaders who are doing the good work on the ground every single day. And then also relationship building with individuals, you know, where power is consolidated, right? It's going to be elected officials, it's going to be appointed officials, county staff, um, as well as like the staff and um, and elected officials, you know, uh, across the various municipalities, you know, that, that make up Washtenaw County. Um, you're not going to drive systems level work, you know, if you don't have those relationships, which means trust. So, you know, we fund opportunities whenever we can, you know, we consider ourselves thought partners and we're constantly sharing data and trying to figure out ways that we can really get everyone on board, um, to solutions, you know, that are going to have impact and that work for, for everyone as best possible. Right. So I think like the, the best example of that right now. Uh, is that we are currently getting uh, ready to launch an aging strategy process for Washtenaw County. Um, you know, there are there are lots of resources in our community. There are lots of nonprofits and um, there are lots of individuals who want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to support our older adults and their caregivers. But what we don't see right now is a lot of coordination in that sector, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. Our hope is that through building these relationships with all of these individuals across the county, that we can start a process by which everyone gives buy-in and that we can all try to agree to then um, working towards the the outcomes and the processes that um, are spelled out in this like plan, which could be five to 10 years, right? Similar to like what you see with counties, like with a master plan. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Our hope here is to kind of put together a roadmap with input um, and commitment to really bring everyone together. So we're not, you know, as a foundation, we're not naming outcomes. You know, we're there as thought partners to support the process. And we're trying to fund whatever work we can do to continue driving this forward. Because um, it's, one, it's the right thing to do. Um, but there's also, there's a harsh reality, um, you know, in our community. The, you know, in Washtenaw County, the older, older adult population is set to double by the year 2040. And this wow. is a, this is a consistent yeah. number that is also happening across the country as well. Yeah. And we are already, we, you know, in our current time right now, we already have um, limitations uh, in terms of how much our services can support older adults. We have limitations on the nonprofits themselves in terms of their capacity. Um, we are we are on the verge of seeing like wait lists happening. Um, if so if we don't start addressing these systemic changes now, then we kick that can down the road. It's going to be too late. Um, and you know, um, there's a, a quote that we use a lot from our um, former CEO um, who said that you know the quality of life for older adults, and really that means all of us in 2040 is gonna depend on how we respond right now or how we don't respond. And yeah. so we really see this moment um, as that opportunity to take charge of our future. Um, and so we'd rather wait um, than be responsive. Uh, and so that's that's where this is going. I don't know where it's gonna end, um, but that's part of the journey, right? And yeah, part of the, exactly. Part of the so how are you, how are you presenting yourselves or how are you building those relationships? What specific activities do you, 
you kind of work on to build those relationships with nonprofits or perhaps even donor constituencies and that sort of thing in this work? That's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, one is showing up, right? I think that if you if you're not showing up, um, then it's really hard for individuals or organizations to trust you. So we're constantly showing up at community forums. You know, um, we're showing up at commissioner meetings. We're doing site visits of facilities whenever possible. Um, we're investing in cohorts. So whereas we gather individuals to talk about things, you know, sometimes it's our presence, sometimes it's our voice, and sometimes it's our dollars. Um, but we're, but you know, at the core of it is that we have to be in the community, and I think that's what made COVID so hard. And this probably sounds like a broken record, but we, it was, it's, it's hard to really be in community when it's only via Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much things have changed now that we're getting back to. Uh, the ability to meet in person again. Mm-hmm. So we have really doubled down on our efforts to be in community as often as possible um, so that we can be having those real conversations, right? And then it's amazing what comes out of those conversations, right? And sometimes it's coffee. Like I had coffee with one of our commissioners the other day. It was fantastic. We spent an hour and a half talking about the community and just kind of like uh, like whiteboarding opportunities, right? And you need those opportunities where just creative thinking, um, you know, there's no commitment, but let's just, Let's spitball a little bit and see what we come up with. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think that that as well as being transparent on what are our values and how is it that we want to show up, right? There's no, um, we're not trying to hide anything, right? There's no nefarious outcome that we're really trying to achieve through all this work. And so we lead with our values. Um, and then we are very transparent about our processes and the role that we're going to play. And, I and so, think Chris, that- are you are you kind of are you are these meetings basically learning and listening, or are you espousing your amazing theories? And I don't mean <laughs> that. It sounds snarky, and it really <laughs> no, no. <laughs> didn't mean to. But you know, give me a break. It's Friday, and I'm I'm kind of punching. But anyway, go no, ahead. no, it's it's all good. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's all of that. I think that you know sometimes like when when um. So I go to most of our county commissioner meetings, right? Because I need to be informed into the bodies of work that they're taking on. And then there, I'm just listening. But then when I have coffee with them, I will then talk about the topics and the issues that they're bringing up in those meetings to show them that I'm paying attention to what it is that they're doing. Nice, Um, nice. There are are other times too. So we just funded um, a transportation summit. Um, that took place in Washtenaw County, focusing on the needs of older adults and caregivers related to transportation across all of the county, right? Which is a system that absolutely needs um, some improvement. There's good stuff happening, but there's a lot more that needs to happen. And so in that one, you know, we provided our dollars to fund it, but we did have a speaking part as well, but it wasn't it wasn't dominating the narrative, right? And so mm-hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. that's the important piece of this is that yeah, I mean, you give me, as you can probably tell right now, you give me the pulpit, I'm going to talk as long as I can. But it sounds like you're saying you come to listen, you're not going to just dominate the entire conversations. You're coming Absolutely. to listen. But I do want to ask you, you know, a lot of people are really soured on politicians, to be honest. And I'll admit it for me, I mm-hmm. I find it, you know, can you give any advice to like working with politicians is obviously you feel it's worth your time to engage them. So what advice would you give to somebody, a cynic like myself? who uh, probably doesn't do as much as they should with politicians? Yeah, no, and I think um, I do have advice. I want to I I phrase this the right way. Um, I think as in any field, 
people get into politics for different reasons, right? And I think that one of the the advice that I would give is that I have tried um, as best possible to develop working relationships with as many of our elected officials as possible. Um, some want nothing to do with me yet, and that's okay, right? So it's almost like the dating analogy, right? Like some are swiping <laughs> right, some are swiping left, and that's okay. Um, I am amazed. I have found myself to be incredibly cynical, and, I, and I'm going to own it, right? Through some, when I sit in on some of the meetings, um, and I, I just I find myself having a hard time um, sometimes believing in our systems. However, when I have found the opportunity to have the one-on-one, that's when you get so much more detail as to what they're doing. And when and also like what are their limitations? Um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a slight tangent here, but I hope this yeah this go for it. No, go for it. Um, so we are a, a part of a of a statewide equity fund uh, that the Council of Michigan uh, Foundations put together, and we have we were one of the fortunate grantees to um, of some of that funding to build a cohort of uh, community members here in Washtenaw County. And we did this in partnership with the, with the county, with their um, racial equity officer. And one of the, um, the process that we went through was that we did a, fi- a fiscal justice analysis of the county in terms of trying to understand like what are the funding streams that support county operations and what are the limitations to that? And so a controversial, uh, and, I, and I don't want this to be controversial, but you know, over the last three or four years, we've heard a lot of defund the police, defund the police. And mm-hmm. people are getting very frustrated when they don't see efforts happening um, when it comes to how those um, dollars could be reallocated, right? And so, but the realization is that for a lot of these counties, and I'm not an expert, I want to say this right now, but this yeah, is no. speaking yeah. at higher higher levels right now. But a lot of the funding streams that support, you know, uh, police operations and activities are from federal sourcing, which have very strict and, you know, clearly defined usages. So you can't just take that money and put it somewhere and use else. it for something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that when in, I think money is almost always the the root of either, you know, concern or joy or problems. Um, but when you, my point to this is. Elected officials do have a lot of limitations in what they can do. And it's so much of what they're doing really has to do with how are dollars going to be allocated to support our community. It's a heavy burden. As I gain deeper insights into what they're able to do and what they can't do because of funding sources, it's allowed, I, I find myself giving grace a lot more easily because I was putting unrealistic expectations on what they can do, right? Mm-hmm. And this has only been through the last six months that I've really had this learning and a lot of podcasts on it as well um, <laughs> through that quadrennial budget process. Um, but it's, I would say it's like building those relationships and really trying to, to, to listen, but you're going to, you're going to see there are some that, yeah, there are some that we just don't, we don't dovetail with, right? It's just yeah. personalities clash, values clash. And that that's okay. But, but I, uh, I do like your strategy, though. You're saying show up and then maybe have a one-on-one meeting or something yeah. like that, too. It sounds like a pretty good strategy in the sense of like just not just aiming for that one-on-one strategy without any back knowledge of what they're wrestling with or what they're groping with. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. So what specific, um, what specific impacts have you made w- regarding older adults? You talked about transportation and I'm sure you're doing some other great things that you're very proud of. Are there a few things you want to highlight about the work? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have, we have three hours, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that right now, um, I think like the the thing that I'm most excited about is that aging strategy because I think that will help us to get to the root causes, you know, of mm-hmm. um of some of these issues that we need to deal with. Prior to that, um you know, what's I think what's interesting is that in our county we have a we have a large older adult population. Um and I would say that historically they haven't necessarily been prioritized the way that they should be. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What I what I mean by that is in terms of like um, funding, you know, if, you know, from from a county perspective, like they don't really there haven't been um, channels of funding that prioritize the needs of older adults. Are usually wrapped up into other supportive services or public health initiatives, right? And it's also too just around the awareness of need for older adults as well as for their caregivers too. Right. Yeah. And we're not, yeah. we're, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to speak kind of bluntly. We're not really a society that lifts up the assets that older adults bring to our community. Right. I think more often than not, they're seen as a burden. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm big on tangents, but I, I just had the opportunity to spend 10 days in Japan. Um, and I, was absolutely floored by the cultural difference in terms of how older adults are valued in in that particular community, you know, juxtaposed to how they're maybe be viewed overall as a culture here in the United States. That's not mm-hmm. to say that families or even, you know, some communities, of course they value, but we really like if you go, if you go to um um, you know, like a, a, a like a Hallmark store, and if you go to the card section, and you pull out any card that's focused on like older adults, it's almost always some kind of a pejorative, like you're deaf, you know, you're blind, yeah, you can't yeah. drive. And, yeah. and that's, whereas it's funny in the moment when that's the prevailing like line of thinking that can get really old. I mean, no pun intended, but that, it's, it's hard for that. Right. And so we, um, I think one of the, of our, what I'm really proud of is that in, in collaboration with our nonprofits, uh, and some of the collaboration or the collaborative groups that have formed is we've really helped to start changing that narrative around older adults, right? How can they be an asset? So let's get them serving on like commissions within the county. Let's have them serving on boards in our community. Let's find opportunities to support them if they want to start a new career, right? Or getting them involved. A big effort right now is related to... um multi-generational opportunities, right? So how can we support, you know, young the younger generation by bringing opportunities for older adults to come in and help to influence and guide, you know, their lives. Um and so it's kind of amorphous, right? It's not like a specific outcome, yeah. but like raising public awareness around the mm. assets and the needs I think is hugely important because there's just at the end of the day if you don't prioritize, there's an ignorance. And I'm not that's not necessarily I'm not saying that in like a calling somebody ignorant, meaning that we just don't know, right? And yeah. so we need to continually pump out information about the good that they bring, the good that they've historically brought, right? And how they can continue to support our community. Because then it's like, oh, 
I was viewing them through an incredibly like inaccurate lens. I'm like, yeah. So there's it's a huge part of this. It's is like you're you're elevating respect for elders too. Yes. I mean, that probably is a big theme, and that 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 I think is is really important. Like you were talking about in Japan. I mean, they, you know, and countries around the world are much more respect of of elders. It seems like. Do you yeah. find? In this current climate about there is some straight up ageism about older politicians and other things. You finding any headwinds about that, about uh, some of your work in aging um, and older adults? I think I, I think that we're we're seeing progress. Um, I mean, ageism absolutely exists. You know, I think sometimes it's it's more hidden um, than it is kind of blatantly out there. But I mean, we definitely saw that. We definitely saw that during COVID. And I think that there, I mean, speaking clearly, I think that we have a lot of healing that needs to happen um, right now. There was a lot of trauma that came to everybody through COVID. Um, but we heard some we heard some pretty horrific things um, about how older adults were feeling during the pandemic. Um, the levels of isolation, um, yeah. the, inequ yeah. the inequities that already existed and the lack of like prioritizing them were only exacerbated, you know, throughout throughout the the pandemic, and we still have a lot of work to bring some healing out to those individuals, you know, who mm -hmm. just had given up hope. They're like, maybe yeah. I should just die. I mean, literally, what we heard was that maybe I should just die because I don't want to be a burden anymore. And I mean that that to me is a huge failing in our society, mm -hmm. and we absolutely have to address that because yeah. no one that. Yeah, a lot of information, obviously, and a lot of attention towards youth and mental health. But I certainly imagine that some yeah. of those individuals you heard stories of people people in obviously long-term care facilities and such that you know just didn't see people because they were on lockdown and you know how difficult that must have been to not see people so i imagine that you're yeah. probably dipping your toes or wading in full full swim with uh uh with you know mental health or that sort of thing so oh, i made yeah, that well, up yeah. wading in full swim i don't know what that means but it sounds good I I'm going to write that. Really I'm going to write that down. That waiting in full swim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, one of the, well, I think probably one of my favorite wins out of COVID um, was that we funded a number of organizations to do what we call like digital literacy. So we knew that technology was hugely important and technology and transportation are two of our biggest connectors, right? It's because transportation either gets you to the supportive service or the enrichment opportunity or you use technology to connect you because maybe the transportation isn't there or you don't have, you know, the ability, you know, physically. And so we we ended up funding this phenomenal partnership with the Ypsilanti Senior Center and Eastern Michigan University where they they used um uh, students and staff to go into the senior center to start teaching individuals um how to use a phone, how to use a laptop and and because there was, you know, pre-COVID like some knew how, but there wasn't like this mainstream understanding of how to utilize that, right? I mean, even the nonprofits were like, how do we use this stuff to support? Yeah, exactly. And I, I had a chance to go in and sit in on one of these trainings. And so we're we're just coming off of like the the heavy lockdown, right? And I go into the senior center and there's like 40 older adults and and there's like five staff from Eastern Michigan. And you would have thought that this was like the party of a lifetime, right? And so everyone's got their devices out and there's a presentation on how to use um, Bluetooth, you know, how to connect yeah. your, your yeah. Bluetooth device. And there was some, first of all, it's it was so amazing watching like these these younger students and staff walk around and teach like the intergenerational. It's really cool. It's yeah. amazing. But the best part was when, <laughs> when all of a sudden they had a Bluetooth speaker and all of a sudden the music changed. 
And one of the one of the participants there had just had figured out how to connect his phone to the Bluetooth speaker and decided, you know what, I want to listen to my music. And so he changed it, right? <laughs> and I was like, this is what I'm talking about, right? Pranked, I mean, pranked. All exactly, right. Exactly, yeah. right. So it, it, it was it was absolutely lovely. <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. So that that's just another like um that's a building system, you know, that, that we're working on still, but it was, I don't know, it was just a fun story and I really appreciate it. Being no, there. it sounds, that's really good. And I commend you for your work. I need to let you get back to your, your busy day, but, but uh, Chris, thank you so much for dropping by anything else I, you want to mention before I let you go. No, just, um, I really appreciate this, Eric, you know, anytime to talk about our work and talk about Washtenaw County and our fantastic residents, you know, I'll always step up to the podcast to be able to do that, but thanks Love for it. all that you do for your community. And, uh, I look forward to hearing what, who else you interview on this, this great podcast, which I will be promoting now on when anybody asks, what do I listen to? It's going to be your podcast. Number one. Yeah. So. Nice try. Yeah. Nice try. Nice try. We know you're a farmer to farmer guy or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Chris Lemon over at at the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, we're going to pivot over to some news here real quick. Uh, just a few short things that I just want to make sure everybody's uh, knows about. So, of course, the KACF Annual National Conference for Growing Community Foundations is going to be hosted October 18th through the 20th. This is hosted by the KACF, or Kansas Association of Community Foundations, in partnership with Kansas Health Foundation, Council on Foundations, Founded Technologies, and Midwest Evaluation and Research. Uh, there is not a registration out yet. They did actually do a call for sessions, but I suspect you'll probably see a registration here pretty soon. And then finally, the uh, 2023 Charitable Gift Planners Conference, November 1st through the 3rd at the Chicago Marriott downtown. Um, that is $855 for registration and certainly would encourage people to check out the charitable gift planners. Again, um, you know, this is a public service that I do this podcast, so there's no kickbacks involved here. So people can say all nice things that they want, but um, there is no sponsorship or anything opportunities. So I am just out here just telling you about some good organizations. So I hope you appreciate it. Um, and as always... We want to say thanks to Andy Epler for our music, as also as uh, David Cutter music, too, for our outro music. Find us wherever you find your pod content. Thoughts on a guest or you want to reach out to the show, please reach out to me at emergentcf at gmail.com. You know, we've got a lot of Michigan people on the podcast. Probably want to see some of the Wisconsin and Minnesota people, you know, step up. Just saying. Emergentcf at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.